Ezekiel chapter 37, a message I've entitled Dem Dry Bones. Dem Dry Bones, Ezekiel 37, verses 1 and 2. Please stand with me together out of honor to God and his word as I read. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. Thank you. May be seated. You know, we were in Ezekiel just a couple months ago and we finished it up. And then as I look back at my notes, I thought, you know what? We didn't, we didn't address probably the most popular passage in the book, which is Ezekiel 37, all the bones. And so that's why we're going back uh, to pick up Ezekiel 37. I don't know how it happened, but here we are now. But bones, as far as jokes go, uh, there's all kinds of bone jokes. So I'm just going to share with you a few. Some people might call these dad jokes. Uh, but for instance, uh, why can't skeletons play church music? Because they don't have organs. I particularly like, Don already heard this. She's just like giving me this cold stare. All right. I like this one. What is a skeleton's favorite musical instrument? A trombone. Now, I, I speak French, and the French language lends itself to skeleton jokes. For instance, what does a French skeleton say when he sees you? Bonjour. What does a French skeleton say before you eat? Bon appétit. And what does a French skeleton say before you leave on a trip? Bon voyage. There you go. Two skeletons in the cemetery decided to drive a car. Before leaving, the driver ran back to the cemetery, pulled up his tombstone, and put it in the back seat. Well, the other skeleton asked him why he needed his tombstone. He said, in case I get pulled over, I'll need to have ID. <laughs> Let's look at Ezekiel 37, Dem Dry Bones. First of all, looking at the vision. Ezekiel sees a valley full of bones. There were very, very many bones, and they were very, very dry. They appeared as though they'd been slain on a battlefield. They had been disgracefully left unburied. And they had been there a long, long time. But Ezekiel is told to prophesy to the bones. In verse 4, he's to tell the bones, listen up. In verse 5, he's to tell the bones, breathe in. And in verse 6, he's to tell the bones, live again. And so there's these very dry bones all over the place. And God tells Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to them. And here's what I want you to tell them. Verse 4, listen up. Verse 5, breathe in. Verse 6, live again. Ezekiel did as he was instructed. The bones began to rattle. The bones began to reassemble. And the bones were then covered with muscles and skin. But the reassembled people were not yet breathing. And so Ezekiel was told to prophesy to the winds to breathe upon them. Look at verse 9. Then he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. Now an interesting lesson in Hebrew. The Hebrew word ruach has three meanings. It could mean breath. It could mean wind. It could mean spirit. And in fact, in Ezekiel 37, all three uses of that one word are used. And the challenge for translators is to figure out which one did Ezekiel mean? 
when he used the same word, was he saying wind? Was he saying spirit? Was he saying, uh, uh, what's the other one? (laughs) Breath. Breath. Well, anyway, Ezekiel is told to prophesy to the winds to breathe upon these people that are just lying there. He did. The wind did. The people revived. They stood up. And they comprised a great army. Look in verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. If this works, I want to show you perhaps what this might have looked like. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the voice of the Lord. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, and say to it, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life, and stood up on their feet, a vast army. the vision. Secondly, I want to look at the interpretation. What does it mean? Well, the bones represented the entire house of Israel. Look in verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And so the scriptures interpret for us the bones represented the entire house of Israel. Now, the original imagery in verse 2 was of dead people on a battlefield. But now we see in verse 12, the imagery changes to a cemetery. Let me read verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves. I will cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. The exiles in Ezekiel's day, they were discouraged. They were hopeless. They were isolated. God promised them four things in this prophecy. The first thing he promised them, he would resurrect them nationally. He would resurrect them nationally. They will be a unified people again. The whole nation of Israel was comprised of 12 tribes. You probably know that from Sunday school or church. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Now, the current nation of Israel is comprised of only one tribe, Judah. That's why we call them the Jews. Jews mean there's one tribe. But Ezekiel says, we're going to get the whole nation of Israel. That's going to be all 12 tribes. The reason I'm emphasizing that is that this has not happened yet. 
This is yet to happen in the future. Ezekiel reemphasizes this reunification. Look at verses 16 and 17. Moreover, thou son of man, take one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, for all the house of Israel, his companions, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in your hand. So Judah is one stick. The other tribes of Israel is one stick. Both are joined together as one stick. Two separate sticks come together as one. And one king will rule over them, thus fulfilling the Davidic covenant. Look in verse 22. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. And they shall no more be two nations, neither shall be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. So the exiles, they were discouraged. They were hopeless. They were isolated. God says, I'm going to resurrect you nationally. Secondly, he promises he will relocate them geographically. He will relocate them geographically. Now, the Israelites are scattered all over the world. But God will bring them back to their own land, thus fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. You say, well, didn't that start in 1948? Yes, it did start in 1948 when Israel became a nation. But remember, there's only one tribe there, Judah, the Jews. So while this did begin in 1948, it is far from over because all of Israel will be gathered together in that land. So these exiles, they're discouraged, they're hopeless, they're isolated. God says, I'm going to resurrect you nationally. I'm going to relocate you geographically. Thirdly, I'm going to revive you spiritually. Notice in verse 14, God says he will put his spirit in them, thus fulfilling the new covenant. It says there, and I shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live. Now, we call this salvation today. Because when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God puts his spirit within you. And so when God says here, I'm going to put my spirit in these Israelites, he is saying, I'm going to save them from their sins. On the whole today, Israel is not saved, but they will be. They are not saved as of now. Yes, the Jews are in the land. There's a whole bunch of other people yet to come, but they're not saved. But they will be. Look what Paul writes in Romans 11, beginning in verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Watch this. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Because, my friends, God does not save by ethnicity. God does not save by religiosity. God saves by grace through faith in Christ. That is how God saves people, by grace through faith in Christ. And the day is coming when Israel will receive God's salvation by grace through faith in Christ. I think it's interesting that two sticks became one nation in the hand of the prophet, even as two timbers became one cross in the plan of salvation. And Israel will realize what they did to Christ, and they will receive him as their Messiah. They will receive him as their Savior. Zechariah talks about it here in Zechariah 12 and verse 10. He says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace 
and supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. The day will come where Israel will invite Jesus Christ to come into their heart, to be their Savior, to be their Messiah. It hasn't happened yet. It will happen. And Israel will have one Savior, Jesus. They will have one sovereign, David's descendant, Jesus. Look in verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they shall have one shepherd, One day Israel will have one Savior, Jesus. They'll have one sovereign, David's descendant, Jesus. They will have one shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus. So these exiles, they're discouraged. They're isolated. They're out of sorts. God says, I'm going to resurrect you nationally. I'm going to relocate you geographically. I'm going to revive you spiritually. And then fourthly, he said, I'll remind you Theologically, Israel will know that God has done this for them. When this happens, Israel's not going to say, oh, look what we did, or weren't we lucky? They're going to know that God did this for them. Look at verse 14. Towards the end it says, Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. And Israel will respond with obedience and worship. When God does this for them, they will respond, first of all, with obedience. Look in verse 24, the second half. They shall also walk in my statutes, in my judgments, and do them. And they will respond with worship in verse 27. Notice what God says, my tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so God is going to do all this for them. They're going to know that God is the one who has done it. And they're going to respond with obedience and worship. But where are they going to worship him? Where is this nation of Israel? Where are they going to go to worship him? They're going to worship him in a new temple, otherwise known as the third temple. Again, it's unfortunate that we got our, I got our sermons out of order here because you remember about two months ago we were in Ezekiel chapter 40 looking to the end of the chapter or the end of the book through Ezekiel 48 and we were talking about the new temple. I was showing you pictures and the priests and all of that. And I told you that is yet to be built. And it is. But they're going to worship God in that new temple, that third temple. And just this past week, there was a news article that some of us were passing around on our phones and email. It was in international news from the Jerusalem Post. And you may have heard last week, Ramadan coincided with Easter, coincided with Passover. And so you have Christians, Muslims, and Jews all in the same place trying to do their thing. And there was a lot of violence on the Temple Mount. And so this article comes out last week and says, and this is an international audience, it's time for Israel to rebuild the Temple. So when we talk about these things in church, it's not just like, well, that's an old book and that's something from history and it really doesn't have anything to do with modern times. Yes, it does. Just last week, this international news organization is saying, it's time for Israel to rebuild. And when they do, they will worship their one Savior, Jesus Christ. They will worship 
their sovereign, David's descendant, Jesus Christ. They will worship their shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. So we've seen the vision. We've seen the interpretation. But thirdly, what does this have to do with us? What does this even matter to us as Christians? And that's the application. Number one, God will bring all Israel back to their homeland. Remember, not just the Jews, not just one tribe. He's going to bring all of Israel, the whole house of Israel. He's going to bring them back. And so keep checking your newspapers or your news feeds as this begins to happen. Because if they're talking about it's time to rebuild the temple, guess what? It's time for God to start calling all of his people back to Israel. Second application is this. God will raise all of the dead. God will raise all of the dead. Now here in chapter 37, Ezekiel is speaking symbolically. But one day God will act literally. Jesus gives us this in John 5, beginning in verse 28. He says, marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. Ezekiel's speaking in symbols here, but God's going to act literally and raise the dead. When you think about it, God is the ultimate grave robber. You heard of grave robbers before where once somebody's buried, they go in and Maybe there's some jewelry there or some money or some other valuable, and so they'll go in and rob those things. Well, God's the ultimate grave robber. He doesn't go in there getting trinkets. He goes in there and he brings everybody out. And as Jesus indicates here in John 5, there will be two resurrections. Believers will be resurrected on rapture day. Believers will be resurrected on rapture day. We learn about this in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16 where Paul says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Yes, believers will be resurrected on rapture day. But you're thinking, Brother Gary, I thought believers went to heaven immediately upon death. Like as soon as I close my eyes in death as a believer in Christ, I thought I'd go to heaven. Well, you'd be wise to think that because Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. And while it is true that the moment you breathe your last breath, you close your eyes in death in this life, that you go to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, your body doesn't. Your body will lie where it was buried, awaiting the rapture. And at the rapture, you will be reunited with your new resurrected body. Look here at 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. I read verse 16. Just go back two verses. Paul writes, for if we believe, and actually if is a poor translation. It should say since there. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So you die in this life. You, who you are, goes to heaven. Your body stays put. Jesus comes back on rapture day. Your body comes out. It's reunited as a new resurrected body. It's reunited with who you are. And so believers will be resurrected on rapture day. Unbelievers will be resurrected on judgment day. There's two resurrections. Believers on rapture day. Unbelievers on judgment day. 
Please turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. It's very important that we all look at this. Revelation chapter 20. I'll begin reading in verse 11. Because Revelation chapter 20 tells us what Judgment Day is going to be all about. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. John writes, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now John here in Revelation 20, he describes a courtroom scene. If you like watching court TV, if you've ever served on a jury, or maybe you're a lawyer, John describes here a courtroom scene. First of all, there's a bench. He calls it the great white throne. He doesn't call it the bench. It's great because it's God's. It's white because it's pure. And then, of course, there's a judge sitting at the bench. It's God in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is like you would expect in any courtroom. There are defendants in verse 12. They're called the dead. It says, I saw the dead small and great, stand before God. These are all unbelievers from all time who have been resurrected for judgment day. And notice, they're all there. The small, the great, the rich, the poor, the popular, the unknown, all the dead stand before the bench, the judge. No one is exempt. Everyone must appear before God. Notice they come from everywhere. Verse 13 says, The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. So no matter where somebody died, no matter where they were buried, or even if they weren't buried, it doesn't matter. They're all going to stand at the great white throne. They're going to stand before the bench with the judge. And then there's evidence. John calls this evidence in verse 12 books. He says, the books were open, verse 12. And another book was open, which is the book of life. But notice what it says. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So this is the evidence. These books are open and these books are full. These books are a record of everything these people did in their lives. The good things they did, the bad things they did. The donations they made, the sins they committed, it's all been written down in books. And in this courtroom, the books are open as evidence. And these people are going to have to give an account for what has been written on their behalf. Again, it's a record of all their works, good and bad. And then there's a verdict in this courtroom. And the verdict is guilty because all are guilty apart from Christ there won't be any believers here remember believers are being resurrected on rapture day these are all unbelievers and so none of these unbelievers have received Christ as Savior which means they're all guilty 
Because everyone is guilty apart from Christ. And what these people are going to find out is yes, their good works were written down along with their bad works, but they're going to find out that they don't just weigh their good works and their bad works, and as long as their good works are a little bit more, then they're okay with God. Because God doesn't understand good works outweighing bad works. He understands the blood of Christ. And that's it. And the blood of Christ is the only thing that works in this courtroom. And then there's a sentence. And the sentence is eternal hell. Look in verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Eternal hell is the sentence. There is no perversion of justice here. There are no appeals. Judgment is final. All unbelievers will be cast into hell forever. Let me give you some advice. You don't want your day in court. You don't want to make your case. You want to be pardoned now. Some of you may even be thinking, you know what, I'm going to stand before God one day, but I'm just going to explain the situation. I'm going to tell them, you don't understand the kind of childhood I had. You don't understand the bad marriage I was in. Uh, You don't understand. We were poor. And if you think you're going to talk your way out of this, you ain't. There's no perversion of justice. There are no appeals. Judgment is final. You do not want your day in court with God. You do not want to make your case before God. You want to be pardoned now. And John mentions a pardon. He mentions it in verse 15. He calls it the book of life. This is the pardon. The book of life. Look what it says. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. But I want you to know about this pardon, the book of life. It's available now, not on judgment day. You can't be standing there before God And you thought you were going to make your case. You thought you were going to explain things. But you saw the million people in front of you and it didn't work for them. So you think, you know what? All I'm going to do is say, hey, go ahead and jot my name in there now. Too late. Too late. That's why the Bible says today is a day of salvation. In fact, it doesn't even say that. Look at 2 Corinthians 6 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. Really, what Paul is writing here is... Now is a time to be saved. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow may be too late. Even just later on today might be too late. We don't even know we're all going to get out of this building before, you know, when church is over. And you don't even know you're going to make it home alive today. That's why the Bible doesn't say today is the day of salvation. It says now is the time. Because if you die without Christ... You'll be resurrected on judgment day and you'll be condemned to eternal hell and there's no getting out of it. So I don't care how long you think you've been a Christian. I don't care how long you've been a member of this church. I don't care how many theological degrees and studies you've had. I want to ask you a question that I want you to consider very seriously. Is your name written in the book of life? Is your name written in the book of life? That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Mine is. I don't know about you. I have no idea. 
Only you know. And so again, ask yourself this most important question in all of life, is my name written in the book of life? And if the answer is no, or if you're not sure, I want you to know your name can be written in there by grace through faith in Christ. You don't have to leave here today wondering, well, I'm not really sure, I don't know. You can leave here today knowing your name is written in the book of life. Because when you receive Christ as your Savior, you receive your pardon. You say, well, how do I do that? You believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, that he was buried for your sins, and the third day he rose again from the dead. This is how you receive the pardon. Now! You say, well, yeah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait till I'm standing there before Jesus as the judge, and I'm going to say, by the way, you know, I want to receive you now. Forget about it. Forget about it. The pardon's available now. Now is the day to be saved. You receive Christ. You receive your pardon. It's that simple. But go back to verse 3. God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Now, Ezekiel didn't know. And I'm sure if you and I were standing there with all those dry bones spread out across the valley and somebody, even God, asked us, can these bones live? We'd probably say, I don't think so. They're too old. They're too dry. It's too late. But God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel didn't know, but he witnessed the answer. And so what I want to tell you is that God will resurrect all human bodies regardless of the manner of their death regardless of their present state. Let me say that again, and I'm going to repeat. God will resurrect all human bodies regardless of the manner of their death or of their present state. What if somebody was eaten by an animal? And that animal, I'll spare you the biology, but that animal processed that body. What about a case like that? God will resurrect that body. What about somebody gets burned up completely in a fire and there's no evidence left behind? God will resurrect that body. What if somebody was buried at sea and then sharks came and ate the body and processed it? God will resurrect that body. What if a soldier was obliterated in an explosion and there's nothing left? God will resurrect that body. God will resurrect all human bodies regardless of the manner of their death or their present state. And know this, my friends. You will be resurrected one day and you will spend eternity either in heaven or hell. This is it. I know our society doesn't like things that are binary. But when it comes to eternity, it's heaven, it's hell, nothing else. You will be resurrected. I will be resurrected and we will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. Receive Christ and you will experience eternal heaven. Ignore Christ and you'll experience hell. I didn't say to reject Christ. I didn't say you'd stop coming to church or stop reading your Bible. I didn't say that you become a bad person. All you got to do is ignore Christ. And you'll experience eternal hell.
but why would you? At least everybody in this room and everybody watching us on Facebook Live, you've all heard, you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to. There's a pardon available. Not tomorrow, not next week. Now! You can receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior right here, right now. Get your pardon. You're good to go forever. But if you just simply ignore Christ, that's a guarantee. You'll spend eternity in hell. Don't do that. Why would you do that when the pardon is available right now? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this lesson. And while it's kind of scary thinking about what will happen on Judgment Day, there's nobody here that has to experience that. We could just make sure we receive Christ and then there's nothing to be afraid of. Yet there may be those in this room. There may be those watching online. There may be those listening later on who haven't received Christ. And their intention for the rest of their lives is to ignore Christ. And that will gain them eternity in hell. May it not be so. Save those who need to be saved right here, right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.